I was really tired of feeling like there were so many system problems that I couldn't solve. Prediction health really, I feel like I'm actually now changing systematic problems versus just feeling stuck in there. Documentation is the only way that we communicate what we do as physical therapists with the outside world. And so it's the only way insurance companies see what we're doing. It's the only way physicians see what we're doing. It's the only way anybody who's really looking at this from like a documented standpoint, what we're doing. And we are consistently and notoriously poor at writing that down. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Beyond These Clinic Balls podcast. I'm your host, Julia, a PT turned product professional, joined by my delightful partner in crime co-hosts, Emma. This is my tribe. This is how I think. And Emily. That is the best getting into PT story I've ever heard. Founders of The Clinician Transition. Each episode, we interview former rehab professionals who have leveraged their clinical skills into non-traditional roles. I invite you to come hear the journeys, follow the career paths, and learn about the opportunities beyond these clinic walls. On today's episode of Beyond These Clinic Walls, we are joined by Kelly Brown. Kelly holds a bachelor's degree in health and human development from Montana State University and a doctor of physical therapy degree from the University of Montana. She's a board certified clinical specialist and has held various roles in a private practice group in Washington State, including staff physical therapist, clinic director, and regional director. Kelly decided to make the move from the clinic to beyond in January 2022, when she joined the Prediction Health team, inspired by the impact the company was making within the healthcare industry. Now, as the Director of Client Success at Prediction Health, she uses her expertise to help practice owners analyze data and make informed decisions for their companies, driven by her passion for transparency in data and efficient workflows within organizations. Happy listening! Today's episode is sponsored by Prediction Health. Prediction Health is the first ever AI platform for physical therapy, allowing practices to alleviate administrative burden, optimize their practice, and deliver the best care to every patient, every time. Learn more at predictionhealth.com. Thank you so much for joining us listeners today on the Beyond These Clinic Walls podcast. We are incredibly excited to have Kelly Brown, here, she is the Director of Client Success with Prediction Health, and she's a physical therapist by trade. We have had a ton of interest in client and customer success in the Clinician Transition Group, so this should be a really good resource if you're interested in that. We also have other resources for this that we may bring up during the podcast. We'll see. So Kelly, how we kind of like to generally start things off is to just ask for a high level overview of your career journey and and how you got to where you are today. First, thank you for having me on. This is such a pleasure. Obviously, I've met you ladies before, but it's great to be able to talk in um, a different capacity. So this is really great. So yeah, so I became a PT, went to school at University of Montana. Being coming a PT was kind of funny because I I saw it on the list of like healthcare like list of things, and I just kind of picked it out. I'm like not that PT that got injured as an athlete and went through PT on their own and just like was life you know life altered with that. I just thought it was kind of cool, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And then the more I learned about it, the more I realized like PT is really great because it's on the it's on the good side of healthcare. Like you're not diagnosing people with you know, hard things, you're not having to deal with them getting sick, you're actually helping them get better. So I really, really like that as I journey through it. But started out working as an orthopedic PT. Um, I actually originally thought I'd be a PT, but school taught me very quickly that I was not going to do that. Um, so 
then um, started doing orthopedics and right out of school. And I got the question of like, hey, do you want to be a clinic director? And I was like, nope, definitely not. Just wanted to be, you know, I just want to be the best PT that you can be. That I spent a lot of years trying to do that. And then I realized that I liked leading and I liked helping the clinic be more proficient and efficient at the things that we were doing. So I became a clinic director. And then that led to me becoming a shareholder in a large organization that I worked with in um, Washington state. And then I became a regional director. And so I just kind of worked my way into more leadership roles. As I started doing that, I got connected with Prediction Health that I work with now just because I was the person that knew everything about the EMRs. So I trained all of our staff on EMRs. I did all the like template writing. I like I started doing all those things on like how to make everybody efficient with that. So anytime we had questions about EMR or dictation or anything that we were going to like try to pilot in our organization, our CEO would reach out to me and say, hey, you know, Kelly, will you talk to this person or this person? Uh, Will you just kind of connect with them? So I did that. I met with Pedro, our CEO at Prediction Health in 2019. And I just kind of started going down an adventure with him, like talking to him about PT, what his technology does. And then pretty soon I realized that their company was making groundbreaking work in PT. So I sold my shares in the company I was with and I and I left. Now, there's a lot of nuances in there that we'll get into today, I'm sure. Um, but that's high level. I realized I had more to offer than just like patient care and centered stuff. I realized my skill set was actually like outside of that and that I wanted to impact PT on a much higher level than one patient at a time, which I do think is extraordinarily valuable and very important. I was really tired of feeling like there were so many system problems that I couldn't solve. Prediction health really, I feel like I'm actually now changing systematic problems versus just feeling stuck in there. So that would be my best high level way to describe that. That I'm excited to learn more, more about that. For those listening who may not know what Prediction Health does, what does Prediction Health do and what's groundbreaking about it? Yeah, so we are um, a technology company that uses AI technology to read physical therapy chart notes. So we read physical therapy chart notes and we pull information from the unstructured text. So within an EMR, we have structured text, which is where you have, you know, check boxes and you fill out range of motion and you fill out a number, drop downs. Those are all structured text, but we can take the unstructured text. So the free typing information, and we can pull context out of that. So we can read it for compliance focus um, with our unstructured text. And then also we can do CPT code analysis. So that's a, a new thing that we're doing where we basically say like, do you have the justification for what you're billing for your CPT codes? We're eliminating the need for humans to do that. So when you talk about like technology should really be something that helps us and that actually makes our lives easier. I can think of only a few products that I've used in PT that are technologically based that actually have made me more efficient and not created more work for me. And so this was like, it was one of those things that I, I was like, oh, this is really, this is actually like groundbreaking things. Like we're actually eliminating work for PTs to do no more peer reviews, no more internal audits. We're just doing it automatically for people. And then just, you know, giving individualized feedback to therapists versus what I had experienced my entire career. Most of us PTs in the outpatient world have, and, and, you know, in other settings as well, that's very generalized comments about your documentation. So Prediction Health can offer like the individualized, like this individual provider needs to work on these three things. These are the most important things for their compliance, fix those things. So now what I do with client success is I get to work with our clients, helping them understand our platform and then helping them roll it out to all their PTs and 
So I actually get to use a cool kind of combination of my skill set. But I am also a data-driven nerd. Like I just find it fascinating to be able to see your clinic represented in numbers and figure out how can I change these and what can I do to actually, what can I see in this data? So I've always found that to be really fascinating. So I get to help our clients now who some of them also have that passion, but a lot of them don't. Like they're great PTs and they're trying to run a great business. And so I now get to help them like analyze their data, take a look like how they can actually make changes there. And it's it's been a lot of fun. Rewinding back to your days as a PT, it seems like you moving up to management may have played a role in, in really like preparing you for this role. So I'm wondering what that looked like. Like, why do you think you were the person that they chose to say, hey, do you want to be a clinic director? What do you think it was? Like, what are those uh, qualities that they were probably looking for and saw in you? That's a really good question. Um, I I was really blessed in that I was surrounded by people who saw a lot more potential in me than I saw in myself for a long time. I think I was willing to learn about it. I was willing to see like the and ask the questions about like, what sort of things do we have to do to run a successful business? Um, I spent a lot of time asking and trying to mentor with a lot of the people that I worked with too. So whether that would be the CEO that I was with or other shareholders or other clinic directors. The organization I was with started out when I started working with them had 13 different clinics. And then when I left, they had 40. So there was just, there was rapid growth. We were bringing in a lot of new people. And then one of the things that I, you know, anytime I mentor students or anytime, anytime people ask me like, how did you become a clinic director? How did you become a shareholder in this organization? Or how did you do that? I always say like, fill in a void. Like Mm. there's going to be holes. And it might not be something that you like. And that's what I really did is like, I am not a great fan of documentation. And somehow I became the person who knew the most about the documentation process and knew the most about the EMRs. Because what I did care about was actually making it efficient for people. And so I was like, okay, well, then I was like, you guys, we don't have anybody to train somebody. We don't have any standard documentation. We don't have a standard way that all of these, our our new PTs are coming in and learning how to use the system. And so it was like, well, Kelly, are you willing to do that? Sure. And so I did it in my free time, free time. Like I would block (laughs) hours off and I didn't do, I didn't get paid extra for it. It was just in my standard, you know, whatever. But I got rewarded for it immensely. Eventually, I got paid for it separately. And eventually, I got bonus and all these different things. So not to speak poorly about my previous employer, because they did pay me for all the things that I did. They were wonderful. And it paid in dividends in the sense of people knew that I was willing to look at something and take an opportunity. And so I think that that's one of the things that I always tell people, like, if you're going to give somebody advice, it's to take opportunities that might not sound fantastic, because you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know what sort of doors it's going to open or even what sort of interests you're going to realize about yourself. And that's what I would never be where I am today had I not initially started teaching therapists how to write documentation in the EMR like that we were using. That's the only reason that I am where I am today is because I started that journey of just becoming the expert on it. And then, and like, I'll tell you, like, I don't like compliance. I don't like writing documentation. I don't like any of those things. But for some reason, I like educating people on it and helping them be better at it because I'm, I think it's really, it's vital to our profession and we, none of us view it that way. We always view documentation as a burden because it is yeah. and a necessary evil. And it's, it is those things. 
but it's the only way. And you guys forgive me. This is like my big time soapbox. And I get on this all the time. Documentation is the only way that we communicate what we do as physical therapists with the outside world. And so it's the only way insurance companies see what we're doing. It's the only way physicians see what we're doing. It's the only way anybody who's really looking at this from like a like documented standpoint, what we're doing. And we are consistently and notoriously poor at writing that down. One level more in the sense of like CPT codes, like that's how we're communicating with insurance companies, the value of what we do. And we constantly do that poorly as well. So as I was educating therapists on this stuff, I realized like, I would start talking about it and people are just looking at me like, oh my God, Kelly, I've never heard anybody talk about documentation like that before. And I'm like, I know. It's like, I'm like going to die if I don't have you write the best documentation ever because I'm so passionate about it. But but I do really fundamentally see that it's a problem in our profession and we don't see it as an undermining of what we what we do as a profession. No, I, I think that's a wonderful soapbox because you're right. I think a lot of people view it as like, oh, documentation, you know, that's the general or so nervous about it that, you know, they're yeah. over documenting, maybe not documenting the right things and spending way too much time on it. It's another friend of the clinician transition and she is on another Beyond These Clinic Walls podcast. Amy Lavko is a very big fan of the DISC. DISC assessment. And she said something along the lines of, you know, 80% of healthcare providers fall into a personality category where they don't like change and they don't like risk. And I think some of the people on this call might be in that 20% of the change and the risk. So when you're working with your clients and they may not be feeling the jazz for documentation that you may feel? How do you convey that to them? What strategies do you use? There's a couple interesting things about that question. So the first and foremost, most of our clients, because of the product that we have and the platform we have, they are interested in how their documentation can be better. Like they just are. And that's just the type of client that we have. But we do have individuals within our, you know, like client, like our practice owners that make the decision to go with our platform. And then I work with everyone that's utilizing the platform. And so there are different personalities in in that way, right? So ultimately, the way I really go about this is like our platform can give them the answers to the test. And that's one thing about PTs is we all want to do the best on the test. And that's a pretty standard, standard thing. We've fought for that the whole time just to get into school, to do really well in school and to be good at what we do. Right. So, so almost all of us have that. And so that's really what people want to do well. And so they, but to your point, there's this balance of, and I kind of talk about it as like walking this, this tightrope of being compliant and concise. And so as we can measure, since we can measure over documentation and we have the compliance portion, we can actually give them the answer to like, as you start to be more compliant by, you know, improving your justification for skilled therapy service or your goals or whatever, you're actually not tipping over into the over documentation standpoint, like over documentation in your notes. And so we actually help them walk that line. I do, however, have to really set people up for success in the sense that, the only way to get better is to know where you start. And so we do have some clients that we bring on and they have a low like compliance score. And so they're like, uh, like, oh, uh, Kelly, like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. And I'm like, it's okay. Like we all have to know where we start in order to move forward with this. If I get the sense that people are resistant to, you know, making changes to their templates or making changes to their workflow or whatever, then I really try to step in and like, 
I'm there to help assist with that. Like, this is not a burden. Like if your therapists are like having trouble with this, like I can talk to them, I can help with that. So I do try to help a lot with that. But I also like to come at this with, and and I actually heard this from some podcasts I was listening to, and they were talking about how humans are actually the most adaptable animals on the planet to change. And so we actually adapt to change so much faster than most animals do on the planet. I thought about that because like during COVID, that's exactly what everybody did. Not that it was pleasant and not that it was like great or even the right changes, but we are incredibly adaptable to change and we just have to know that we are. And then we have to just be confident that we can do it and that there's people to support us. And so that's really where I try to come at it from. You've talked about like, it's almost like a sixth sense for you when you can feel like someone wants to say something, but they're not verbalizing it. Can you talk more about like, if you know how to read that in a person? Well, I think the biggest thing is that it's all empathy. Like that's all that is. And it's practiced empathy. And that's one thing that as healthcare providers that we actually become numb to empathy. And so I saw, um, so we always had like a board in our clinics and stuff. And one of the things that I always tried to make sure right up there is like one day in our life with a patient is a life altering event for them with us. Mm. And it's like, and, and you, everyone like on that listens to the podcast is going to have these examples where I, you know, I had a patient ACL, like, you know, I don't know how many ACLs I've treated in my career, like thousands. And he is just panicked right? It's like his third visit and he's just panicking and he's like tons of questions, like weight bearing, all these different things. And it was like one of my staff members I'm working with is like, oh my gosh, Kelly, he's like, totally. and I'm like, there's an anxiety level here. Definitely. But remember, he's never had ACL surgery before. Like he's never had it. We see it every single day. It is not a big deal for us, but this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal for him. Like huge deal, life altering, huge deal. And we have to make sure we understand that every single time we talk to this person or else this is not going to work out well. (laughs) So, so that to me is ultimately like, like we talk to people in the, in the compliance world a lot. Right. And like our technology work using our technology and how can we help other compliance companies in this and people get really nervous and and I get that and so to me it's like recognizing what they might be feeling and how why they might be feeling it and that this is like we're here to do this it it immediately like calms down situations brings everybody onto the same playing field and it's just like we can understand how you might feel this way i have two kids and so like Maintaining empathy for my four and a half year old when she's being a total terror is like really challenging, <laughs> right? And so yeah. it's and so I I actually and it's funny because I'm like oh, I'm such a mom now like and it's just wild. But I always compare things to like being a mom or being like because it's kind of the same thing. Like dealing with dealing with patients is like dealing with children sometimes. And I don't say that because patients are children. I say that because we all have to be kind of treated the same way in human interaction. But being a mom just really brings it out. You brought up another good point about empathy because I can see what you're saying about how we probably become conditioned to seeing the same things every day. We see stroke patients who have suffered a stroke every day. We see people after surgery every day. So yeah, it becomes normal to us. I even think maybe people who are overly empathetic, I maybe fell into that bucket when I was practicing. I had to tone it back sometimes because I would just be exhausted 
emotionally at the end of the day. Well, I actually think that's a huge problem in healthcare in general too. And that's why we, we become hardened is because we go so far in the other direction that we, we take on our patients' problems. And that's actually a skill set in itself is to know like, where do, where do I get to actually take this on and where do I not get to? And like fully understanding. And, and this is something that um, there's a great Ted talk on. And again, a don't know who it was. I can't remember you guys. I'm so sorry. Uh, but there's a really great TED talk on time management. And it's a woman who she studies time. And so all she does is she follows people around who are those like, you look at them and you're like, you create time. How do you possibly get all those things done? So what this woman actually found out was that it is people who understand how to prioritize. And so she actually talks about it in the sense that Don't use the phrase like, I don't have time for that. But people who say like, I choose not to prioritize that actually understand how to prioritize things. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to change my phrasing. And so I did. I started saying things like I, and that's how I think about it in my head. If I got an email from my boss, it was like, hey, Kelly, can you go ahead and do this or do this or blah, 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 blah. And like, I would say, okay, do I get to, do I want to prioritize this? And then if the answer is yes then I can do that. And if the answer is no, then I'm prioritizing something else over that and why. And it immediately changes your thought process and it immediately makes it so that you don't feel like you're a victim of time and you're a victim of all the things that are being asked of you, but you actually get to choose what you're doing. Empathy is another thing where I feel like once you can understand priorities and responsibility, then you actually know where your line is and what you're actually responsible for as a provider. Because that's a really hard line. Like, my patient's not doing their home yeah. exercise program. Oh my gosh. And you're like, yeah, or my patient isn't making progress or whatever it is, right? And it's like, there are some things that are absolutely, as therapists and as healthcare providers, they are our responsibility. It takes time. As a new grad, it's hard to really comprehend and understand that. But once you get to the point where you know what that is, then your empathy can be right in the right spot. It's not too much. It's not too little. You're in that happy place, that perfect, you know, Goldilocks place with your empathy. I actually worked with a woman one time and she... she <laughs> I got frustrated with her and I was snippy with her and I was like, oh crap. And so I, later I was like, so sorry, like really didn't mean to be snippy with you. And she goes, oh no, I know that you were upset, but I just chose not to accept it. And I was like, <laughs> I like what? And she's like, I know you're upset with me. She's like that. And she, she said it like when she said, I chose not to accept it. What she was really saying was that was your problem, not mine. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. And I just remember thinking, oh my gosh. And it was so funny because after that, I would talk to her about that. And I was like, that was so impactful to me that you said that. And she goes, she goes, oh yeah, with my husband, if he's like ranting at me or something like that, and I'm starting to like feel his energy come at me, she goes, I just go like this with my hands. Like I just put my hands up, like two stop signs. Like, nope, I'm not allowing your energy to get over here. Like, no. (laughs) And so I would do that with patients where they're just pouring out their hearts to you. And they're just like, all they want is somebody to just be like to dive into their despair with them. And you want to do that, right? As somebody who Mm -hmm. has like an empathetic heart and somebody who wants to do that with them, I would visibly in my brain do this with my hands, like just mentally be like, okay, like I'm here to support you. I'm here to do these things, but I will only do this in the sense that I am your healthcare provider and I can do this with you like healthy. And so that was, that's an interesting kind of balance and something that you have to learn. And so when you talk about how do you build that skill set to understand what people are saying when they're not saying it? You have to maintain that empathy without overdoing it because otherwise you're, you're, you'll lose yourself and you'll burn out so fast. You'll be like, you'll be gone oh, yeah. so fast. Like you just won't be able to handle it. So. 
Hi guys, sorry to interrupt, but this episode is sponsored by Prediction Health, dedicated to making clinician lives easier through their analytics platform, PT Practice Intel. Unlike other analytics platforms, PT Practice Intel analyzes both the structured and unstructured data in your EMR, delivering unprecedented visibility into your practice. From compliance to care quality to revenue and reduced burnout, PT Practice Intel provides actionable insights, allowing you to optimize your practice and focus on what matters most, treating your patients. You prescribe your patients the tools to improve their health. Let Prediction Health provide you the tools to improve the health of your practice. Find out more at predictionhealth.com. Now back to the rest of the episode with Kelly Brown. I actually worked with a lady for a while who works on this exact thing with providers of like boundaries and basically how to be resilient as a provider. But really, it's just like life skills. Like, how do you maintain boundaries with other people? And um, I've actually found that that's one of the best skills I've been able to transition over CS because it's the same kind of thing. And it's something we continually talk about as a team of like, okay, where's your responsibility? Where's their responsibility? Are you taking on something that you shouldn't? Have you seen that same like similarity into client success? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a really, really great question. And I think you just bringing that up had made me realize that 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 was probably one of the harder transitions for me going from patient care to client success. When I transitioned to prediction health, it wasn't my like, I'm going to go into client success because that sounds like a career that I think I'd be really you know great at. And it sounds like something. And so I get that question a lot. It just kind of, I liked this company. I loved this company. I knew I had some personal things that had happened. I had wanted to move from where I was living. I had another child of two kids. Um, My husband and I wanted to shift in our personal life with slowing down, not being so in traffic all the time. So there's a bunch of different personal things that led us to really thinking about leaving patient care. So there's a bunch of different things that led to that. But so I didn't fully prepare myself for the transition from patient care to CS. And I didn't fully like sit down and really kind of like do the research that I see so many people on the TCT channel doing and so many people really diving into and that we're going to get into today, which is fantastic because preparing yourself obviously is a much better way to go than just jumping in like I did. (laughs) Um, But I do think that I thought because I was really skilled at that in patient care and with my leadership and those roles that I thought it would just be a supernatural transition and it would be really easy. But it wasn't because it's different. It's emails, it's um, text messages, it's things that doesn't, they don't seem like they're that big of a deal. And like, so, or like I am on Pacific time and our, our um, company is based in Nashville. So they're central time. So, and I have many clients that are Eastern time. And so I have to be very specific about setting my calendar boundaries because I can work all day. Like I can't. And so I yeah. can get up at 5 a.m. and have a meeting if I want to, because our East, you know, East Coast clients are, they're up, they're working, it's eight o'clock their time. So, so that actually was a bit of a challenge for me, like setting those boundaries and understanding like how to, and we're in a startup. It's like, you know, everybody's got a ton of stuff to do. And so it's like, how do you prioritize and get all that stuff done appropriately and set those boundaries and not burn yourself out again in the same way. It's my natural tendency to the harder something is, the harder I'll work at it. And so it's my natural tendency to do that. And so 
Um, I have to really stay focused on what my priorities are, which again, because I have honed that skill set, that does help me. But I really thought I'd be a lot better at it than I actually am. No, the email thing really stood out to me when I was practicing one of my dearest friends. We'd hang out, you know, how how are things going? Oh, I got I got 300 emails I got to answer. I'm so stressed <laughs> out. And I would think, well, <laughs> why don't you try spending a day in the ICU and then t- like I would love to have the 300 <laughs> email problem. <laughs> Right. And now as someone who also has 300 emails to answer in a day, I, I have more empathy, speaking of empathy, about what she was talking about. However, it is kind of a slippery slope coming from the background we have, because I would still rather answer 300 emails 20 times than spend an hour in the ICU. And yeah. I think that's where therapists can sometimes uh, get into not trouble, but have a tricky time with the transition because they're just working so hard to be perfect and not make any mistakes and not as kind to themselves with the learning. And it's a it's a different kind of burnout than maybe the one you're coming from. Another thing that's been really interesting to me as a parent is like how there's like similarities into being a parent into work, teaching them how to do things, drawing boundaries with kids. Do you have any similarities with being a parent that, you know, was very similar to management or very similar to client success? I mean, like everything. I mean, (laughs) it's, it really, it's, the stakes are higher being a parent, but I mean, even that, like as a, as a leader, like, and this was where I came from, like when I was a clinic director and stuff, I really wanted the people I worked with, like, like our jobs are to help our patients be good PTs, build appropriately, do good documentation, all the same. But like my job as a leader is to make sure that you're happy and content in your job. And then also that if this isn't the job for you, then I'm going to help you find the place it is. Because if this isn't your, like, this isn't where, what fits with you, then it's not going to jive with us either. Like this has to fit well. And that's what I would talk to people when I was trying to hire people. Like we need to make sure that this is the right fit. If it's not, then like I had some of my, um, my dearest, dearest colleagues that I worked with, and now they're clients of ours with Prediction Health you know, opened his own practice after working with us for two years and like heartbroken. And like I was, I went to the bathroom and I cried and I called our HR gal and I was like, why are people leaving the clinic? And they're like, Kelly, it's because you're such a great mentor. And I was like, no, it's because I'm a terrible leader. That's why people are leaving. (laughs) She's like, no, Kelly, it's not like, and I was like, oh God. And so I was also postpartum and I was, there was all sorts of different emotions happening. But you know, we're still very close friends and he's now a client of ours with Prediction Health. And I see him running an incredibly successful business now of his own. And there is nothing more satisfying than working with somebody who learns from you and then goes and does something that is meaningful in their life. Now, that's really great as a like leader and as a um, manager and stuff. As a parent, the stakes are higher because it's your child's life. It's their it's their soul. It's their, you know, they're as a citizen of the world. What sort of human being are you creating? creating cult, you know, cultivating whatever word you want to use there. So to me, I think there's a lot of overlap in the sense of how we need to approach it as parents and as, as leaders, because ultimately you're leading your children in the journey of life is really what we're trying to do. And so it's, it's something that I probably take too seriously. And so it's almost exhausting. Like my husband's like, if you read another book, Kelly, I swear to God, like, 
And I'm like, I'm like tabbing all the chapters that he can read. Like, okay, you don't need to read the whole thing, but these are definitely the chapters you need to read. Right. And, um, and I think that we also have to give ourselves credit that we're human beings and our children need to see that we will make mistakes and we will also not be perfect. And sorry, I'm not trying to get into parenting philosophies, but this is something that I just like was like life altering for me when I, when I became a parent. So parenting is the balance of understanding that you at all times have conflicting emotions that you feel simultaneously. So I absolutely desperately love my children with every fiber of my being. Yet I also at the same time can resent that I don't have the life I had prior to having children. I can feel both of those things at one time and it's fine. And it's like, it's so confusing as a parent because you're like, you don't know which motion is okay. And you're like, you moms feel guilty about feeling like any sort of negative emotion. Yeah. And that's um, like and they the feel third like they level only... to the conflict is like, oh, yes. then add some guilt on top of there. Yeah. yeah. And then you add your, your feelings about your feelings <laughs> and it's too much. It's way, way, way too much. And so that's actually anytime I talk to like new parents, like all my friends have had babies. Now you guys also have to know this about me. I'm a pelvic floor therapist. So I have a whole level of like parenting stuff that I do with like, I treated tons of pregnant women and postpartum women and all the conversations about, you know, sex, pains with sex and all the different things that happen with the pelvic floor therapist. My, my, um, I guess my tolerance for those types of conversations is much greater than most people. But, but with parenting, I was always talking to my pregnant gals about like, just remember, just that when you get to that phase where you're feeling those conflicting emotions, just let it be like, don't have an opinion about it. Just let it happen because it's going to happen and it's all okay. And I think as parents and especially women and mothers, we think we should feel one way or the other. And so when we feel the opposite emotion, we cannot, we can't like, we just feel guilt and we can't like get over it. And so like, I'm a mom that like one of my favorite times, my favorite times of the week is Monday morning after I drop my kids off at daycare. It's like my favorite because I get to come back and have my coffee and get to work with something I do great. But I equally love picking them up from daycare every single day because it's fantastic, right? And I get to see them and it's the same. It's it's so much joy. So so I think that as a parent, there's like those like that from a parenting philosophy standpoint, I'm like, you just have to understand that that is something that you will feel. And if you don't kind of come to terms with that, then you'll be really, really uncomfortable with your feelings as a parent and have a lot of guilt and allow your guilt to drive you, which is not a place to parent from. I feel like that was like a year's worth of therapy um, and people should like pay you for that. (laughs) No, please don't take that and use it because it's, (laughs) it's when I realized that it really changed the way I think about things. And I think that there's tons of podcasts that you hear about, you know, women working and working mothers and, you know, all the things around that. And I just don't think that there has to be guilt. Like it works for some people and it doesn't work for others. And I think you just have to go on the adventure and figure out what does work. Look at yourself and not feel bad for if there is a negative emotion around your children, because it's very normal. Kelly, are there questions you get on LinkedIn all the time that you might want to use this time to kind of to answer here before we move on to your show and tell? Yeah. So the the biggest one is just like, what are the most important things that you did to make the transition? And so we really did highlight that. I think today, the biggest thing is just um, saying yes to opportunities, meeting people, just you never know who you're going to, who you're going to meet or what sort of opportunity is going to happen. 
I think that most of us who have been in a professional career long enough look back and go, whoa, I never thought I'd be here. And that's whether you're you know, still in patient care or you're not in patient care anymore. I think, I think some of us to some degree have that. And the reason that those things happen is because we, we get introduced to people. We, we meet, meet new people. We go to conferences, we, you know, whatever it might be. And I think that there are different capacities for like putting yourself out there, but that doesn't mean you can't say yes to, you know, projects or, or things like that within your organization that, that you might do well at. Um, so that would be my biggest thing is just just say yes to things and try to fill the voids. And most of us, and that's where like, if you see a void, the likelihood of you being good at filling it is pretty high because you see it. And so that's something to think about too. Like, like in the company that I worked for, I really saw like, there's nobody here to educate us on how to be the most efficient with our EMR. So I did it. And I realized it's because I actually am good at that because I saw it. I saw the void because I was efficient and I saw my colleagues were not. And so I was like, we need this to be better. So so that's something I don't think we give ourselves enough credit for. Um, we will see things that are something that we can see because our brain works that way. And so that's usually means you need to go go toward that. And I think that when people reach out to me on LinkedIn, I think they want me to give them a much more like take this CS course and, and do this. And, and I don't, I don't have that journey as much. My journey was a very much an organic journey of meeting people, building relationships with people, doing work that was way outside of my um, job because it was part of my passion. And um, that's really, that's really my journey to prediction health is that that was my main, my main thing there. So. Yeah. And if you are kind of inspired by what Kelly's saying and you want to take on extra EMR projects and standardize it, maybe part of that could be evaluating other EMRs because there's only so much you can do with legacy yep. software and workarounds. You might need a more modern solution like a you know, prompt or prompt. <laughs> that. Um, <laughs> that was I, perfect. I will tell you. I will tell you, prompt was not the EMR I have ever used when I was practicing. So I'm sure if I was using prompt, I wouldn't have had to do all the work that I did to make things more efficient. So in all seriousness, though, that that would be super helpful, I think, for a practice owner to have a person on their team taking initiative, seeking out vendors, being open to change, helping the staff Mm -hmm. being open to change, being an internal champion. That makes a huge difference if a change does occur. Well, speaking of kind of the open to change and why don't we transition into your show and tell? Yes. So, so when Emma and I were talking about doing this podcast, she's mentioned that um, she's like, okay, Kelly, you're going to, you know, we're asking you to do the show and tell if you're interested. And it took me about two seconds to say, oh my God, I totally know what I'm going to talk about. So, um, so I'll just kind of start at the beginning of this, with this. So we mentioned it earlier. So the Enneagram um, personality test is what um, I'd love to bring up to your listeners. And the reason is, is because, so as I was going through my, so I was really, I was lucky enough to be able to take some leadership training. And so I did you know, th- I did, you know, through different sort of sort sorts of clinical training and all that stuff in my pelvic floor and OCS. And I did all the kind of orthopedic stuff in the pelvic floor training and things. But I also took leadership courses. And one of the main things in the leadership course I took was understanding yourself through this personality test, through a social emotional intelligence test, strengths finder test. But the Enneagram really resonated with me because it's a personality test that talks about your personality. There's nine different types. It was like a f- switch was flipped when I like learned my type because I was like, holy crap, like this is incredibly accurate. 
but it doesn't pigeonhole you into one type. Like you're this type and that's all you can be. And that's all you do. Because once you're, once you're a type, so, and I'll, I'll say like, I'm a type three. And so it's a very distinctive type. It's the achiever. And so it's natural for us to be competitive and to care about being efficient. And so I started learning kind of all these things about my type, but there's also tendencies for each type when they are under stress or they tend to adopt negative aspects of other types. And then when they're happy, they tend to adopt positive aspects of other types. And so they have kind of a spectrum of healthy to unhealthy and different ways that these particular types will present depending on how they are within that healthy to unhealthy spectrum. And that's just like the first layer of this. Then it goes into all these different like head, heart, and gut. Like there's all these different things that the Enneagram kind of encompasses. But what was most impactful was like, how do I view the world? And so that's what's really interesting about a lot of the personality tests that you'll see out there is it's it's oftentimes how the world will view you. And so this is like how I view the world and what values I have and why I make decisions. And so that is what has been so impactful for me. So, and of course I made my husband take this like immediately so I could know what his personality type is. Then my husband is a type seven, which is called the enthusiast. And if you've ever met my husband, which I know you, neither one of you have, but maybe someday you will, he is the epitome of a type seven. He is just like, if he, he is like the ultimate FOMO. If he is like (laughs) missing out on something, he's probably sad. He's not in on this podcast right now. I'm dead, dead serious with you. Like he is just the ultimate, like FOMO, like loves to experience things, joy. Like if he doesn't experience joy, that is his like foundational thing. And so that's really, really important to understand in somebody when you marry them, because if you take away their joy, which is a lot of things that you do in a marriage, like budgeting, um, (laughs) like all the things that you have to do to live your life are, you know, kind of unfun things. And so, but it makes all the decisions that you have to make in relationships and in a marriage much, much easier. So I talk about this in very non-professional ways in like my marriage and my friendships and stuff, but that's just an extrapolation of what you can do in a professional setting, which is understand all the people that you work with and, you know, how do I work with these people, especially in a leadership perspective, because you're, you have to communicate people with people oftentimes under stress. And so you really need to know how they respond to stress and how you respond to stress. And so I'm the person that I get extraordinarily offended if you waste my time. If you chat with me while I'm trying to do something, if I'm like clearly trying to see a patient or, you know, trying to type an email or do it with my documentation and I've got somebody just drawn it on and on, I will not pay attention to you and I will not have what my what is that the your rbf like i have a very strong one that that you know is pretty obvious and so i have to know that that will not give people i work with the sense that they have a place to come to me to talk to so i have to stop and turn and pay attention to them even though i don't want to because it's not my personality type but it also is what i want to because ultimately i do want to provide that atmosphere so again i have to prioritize that over what my natural instinct is to is to ignore them and continue doing what i'm doing to be efficient And so um, it's just a very, it's a very interesting way to understand yourself, which then of course you can understand how you interact with the world and then how other people interact with you. And so your communication styles can be just so much easier to, to do. So the Enneagram, there's the Enneagram Institute is the website. And then of course there's like a million books and there's like all sorts of different great, yeah, great books, podcasts, all sorts of different things. So the Enneagram is 
is fantastic and wonderful. I did Strengths Finder and I've done the disc assessment and it helped me understand, like especially Strengths Finder. Obviously, it helps you see your strengths. I didn't even realize I was seeing some of my biggest strengths as weaknesses because I'm very particular and I'll go through things like three times before I'll, you know, like send something out or approve it. And um, I forget what it was called, but that was like a strength. They're like, no, you're very detail oriented. This is good in a lot of situations. So I was like, okay, it's okay if, you know, it takes me a little bit, send out emails and, you know get a few things done if if it's important. Yeah. I know I thought the strengths finder was really fascinating because it gave I felt like it gave me insight into um almost kind of similar to yours whereas like I felt like it was something like my one of mine is authenticity. Like that's one of my top strengths. And like I've never seen that as a strength. I see that as like an annoyance because I'm I'm particular about people I hang out with. And like to the point where like I'm like instantly like ah eh that person's fake or whatever. And it's like, oh no, no, I just need somebody who's like incredibly authentic, incredibly authentic. And it's like, so and my husband is the type of person, like he's, he just wants to be friends with everybody. And I'm like, nope, I'm just this like curmudgeon in the corner. And he's like, Kelly, what's, I don't understand. And so, so again, it's like, it's just a very interesting, like, I think the strengths finders, it's like when you're like, one of the questions I ask in interviews all the time, Actually, this is an interesting thing too. There's a great book called The Ideal Team Player. And they, I don't know if you guys have ever read that, but it talks about like the three qualities of an ideal team player, which are hungry, humble, and smart. And so you have to have somebody who's hungry, you have to have somebody who's humble, and you have to have somebody who's just like smart. Like they just generally, not necessarily like IQ or like, you know, they have all the credentials or whatever, but just like smart. They just kind of get it, right? And so they have questions that help you to find those people, those candidates when you're interviewing. And so one of the questions is, and I've asked this to everyone in the TCT that I had an interview with, is what's something in your personal life that somebody finds annoying? And it's like, which is like a really hard question to answer on the spot because you're like, oh my God. But it's like, for me, it's like a lot of things in those strength finders are probably annoying to other people um, because it's actually a strength that other people, it's a very fascinating balance between your strengths are your weaknesses or your weaknesses are your strengths kind of thing. But no, I love the strength finder one too. Yeah, so that that's a really great show and tell for people to kind of take this test and not necessarily say, you know, this personality is best for this job. It's more what are the things that are probably going to be less challenging for me in this job and what are things that I might have to work on as a person to get to where yeah. I need to be to succeed in this job. No, and I think that's a great point is the the tendency is for us to want to really think that if we're a certain personality type, we will fit into a certain job. And I don't think that that's true. I think that especially like CS, everyone thinks you have to be outgoing and things like that. And I don't think that's true at all. I think that they're all personalities can do different things. You just connect with people differently. And if you understand how how you as an individual connects with other people, then you'll be able to do that well. And that's that's the fundamental thing. And that's, we talked about this a lot when I first started learning about the Enneagram, because it was like, oh, are there certain Enneagram types that we would want to kind of like promote into leadership and things like that? And I'm like, no way, because I know great leaders that are across the board, different Enneagram types. They're just different leaders and they have different staff that are drawn to them. And that's like, we all have different human interaction. And like, I was that way when I was a PT where I was like, if I'm not the PT for you, there's one out there for you. It's not the PT doesn't work. You got to find the right PT. I'll help you find it. It might not be me. And I'm not offended by that because I don't fit everybody. 
but you know, where is that PT that does? And like, where's that client that does? Where's the company that does? Like, just because you don't have the, like, and I think the extrovert and introvert is kind of silly because it's a very, it's just like too black and white kind of thing. Like you need more gray because we're humans. And so, gosh, you guys have heard me say humans three, three different times today. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about balance overall. It's Mm -hmm. never, can't really have too much balance. I think, you know, we could probably chat with you for another five hours, but <laughs> yeah, went to loop back on, you know, boundaries and prioritizing and, and all those good things we talked about, you know, happy to kind of give you uh, your, your night back. Before we do that, just want to thank you again for being on here. I am incredibly confident this will be a very good recording for people to listen to and learn to and I know there are a lot of people who want to do something similar to what you're doing. So thank you for sharing your story and tips on how to be successful. You've given us so much on this call. Is there anything Emily or I can do for you or Jules who isn't here or anyone listening that can do for you in return? I think my biggest thing is like, as you guys have heard, my passion really lies in making the physical therapy profession better. And that's really like, as us as rehab professionals continue to branch out into non-clinical roles. I just really want everyone to keep in mind like how we can as PTs still or rehab professionals still continue to make our profession, which is rehab, better and better. And so obviously you two ladies are doing that. Um, I'm doing that. I think a lot of people, a lot of your listeners are too. Obviously, you know, everyone keeping tabs on prediction health will be wonderful for us because um, we're new, we're up and coming and it's very exciting technology. So that would be wonderful as well. And then just thank you so much for having me on. This has been awesome. So I really, really appreciate it. I hope I can come back someday and we can have (laughs) a great chat again. So this has been wonderful. You ladies are awesome. I'm excited to work with you guys. This has been great. Just one last thing. If you're ever documenting and you've thought there has to be a better way, check out prediction health. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Beyond These Clinic Walls podcast. As always, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at Beyond These Clinic Walls for all the latest updates and episode releases. Make sure to join the Clinician Transition Group on LinkedIn and Slack to be part of the networking community for like-minded rehab professionals. Questions, comments, concerns, or do you know someone who might make an excellent guest on our next show? reach out to us at beyondtheseclinicwalls at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.